Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Luke, chapter 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his un- mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came in all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was, with, was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So ends the reading of God's word. Children ages three years old all the way to kindergarten are now dismissed to Little Landing. Good morning, Faith Family at the Landing. I am very excited about Luke chapter 1 and the birth of John the Baptist. Let's pray together, and I want to ask God for his help for my own heart. Father, bless, I pray, my foolish efforts to meditate on this chapter and these verses that Kevin just read to help me to understand and see the glories of your mercy here. And as I fumble along, would you help Your people, by the Spirit, see the great mercies of God that are for us here. Let no one leave out of this precious worship service merciless. But let the mercy of God rain down on us and drench us thoroughly. And let it rain down on this community and upon the earth. Let it rain down on those watching by live stream and on those who have stiffened their arm against Christ and try as they might to avoid him. Let your mercy rain down on them also. Let your mercy rain on us as it rained down on Zechariah and Elizabeth, on John, all because of the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, your Son of God and Son of Man, our Redeemer and our Savior and Lord. It's in His great and precious name I pray these things. Amen. Today we continue in our series through Luke 1 and 2, celebrating the advent of Christ at his birth in the account Luke gives to us 
It took place 2,000 years ago, and you might not find it a surprise that articles have come out in the last several weeks, one from Kevin DeYoung on the Gospel Coalition website describing why we worship on December 25th, the advent or the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, why we picked that day. It's because, and I found this a curiosity, whether it's true or not, God will ultimately reveal, that the Jewish tradition held that great leaders, including the Messiah, would be conceived on the same day they died. They'd be conceived on the same day of the year that they died. And, and the records can pretty clearly show that Christ died somewhere on at about March 25th. So the Jewish mind thinks way back on March 25th uh, of, a, of 33 years prior, the Messiah was conceived or would be conceived. And if you're a believer in Christ and believe Christ is the Messiah, you would look with those Jewish eyes upon Mary and Joseph and you would say, well, likely it was that if Christ died about 33 A.D. on March 25th, the first Good Friday, then he was conceived on March 25th, 33 years before. That's described, if you care to look it up, in an article presently on the Gospel Coalition website written by Kevin DeYoung, and the research is interesting, if not utterly airtight. (laughs) Suggesting then that nine months later would be the day of his birth. Thus, December 25th has made so much sense for 2,000 years almost for Christians to worship the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. Don't know, know exactly the year, probably 4 or 5 B.C., but it's, it's very, very possible and at least certain that on one day out of the year, <laughs> Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph were real people giving birth to a real baby who was really the Son of God and our Redeemer. The forerunner of Mary's giving birth to Christ is Elizabeth, her relative, giving birth to John. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, didn't believe nine months prior when Gabriel, the angel, came to him and said, you, even in your old age, in your wife's old age, will conceive a child. It'll be a miracle. And Zechariah doubted it. He said, how in the world can that happen? Do you have any idea how old I am? And his unbelief was met with a time of discipline from the Lord. You're a priest, you make your living by speaking, you won't be able to speak anymore. You make your living by hearing from God, you're not going to hear anymore. Nothing could be more relevant to our lives today than this Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus Christ, born to Mary, and the command that before Him would come John, born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that John would be in his mission called upon by God, even prepared by God, to prepare the way for Christ to come. Is there need for the preparation in people's hearts for Christ to come again? Yes. There's need in my heart and in yours and in the hearts of people you and I work with, in our families, our co-workers, our friends, acquaintances, and even our enemies. There's need for hearts to be prepared for Christ to come into our hearts and to bring His saving mercy. As I poured over this passage, verses 57 through 80 that Kevin just read, and as I studied and as I was snowblowing and thinking about this passage, 
which I did five times this week. You can pray for me. I saw mercy all over this passage. Mercy shows up everywhere in this passage. In in verse uh, 58, there's great mercy that everyone recognizes on Elizabeth. In verse 72, Zechariah finally opens his mouth having been healed, and he sings prophetically of the mercy God has shown to the fathers in the past. And in verse 78, Zechariah sings again of God showing tender mercy to the world by shining the light of the gospel upon us through Christ. And these are, these are challenging ideas. What does this mercy feel like? What does it look like? How does it show up in people's lives? How can you tell if this mercy is showering itself down upon you? Well, I have three observations out of each of those verses referencing the mercy of Christ. First, God's great mercy to sinners spreads the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, God's great mercy to sinners saves our soul by trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, God's great mercy to sinners shines the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark world. So three S words, that's my outline, spreads, saves, and shines. I pray that every person in the hearing of my voice and every person meditating with me on these verses in Luke 1 would have afresh the mercy of God well up inside you like a fountain, shower down upon you like a, like a spring rain and flood over the earth like the ocean over rocks beneath. First, God's great mercy to sinners spreads the praise of the Lord Jesus. Look at how God intends for His mercy to spread the name and the praise of Christ, verses 57 and following. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. God means to show you mercy so that it goes wide and far, and everybody hears about it. God shows you mercy so that other people hear about your life. Your life is in need of mercy sometimes in order that others may give praise. That's the reason for storms and power outages. That's the reason for illness. That's the reason for financial hardship. That's the reason for all manner of challenges and difficulties that require mercy in your life. It's so that God might spread his report of mercy to you. They knew that Elizabeth had been infertile. They knew that Zechariah and Elizabeth were not able to have children. They knew that this was painful. They knew that this was years and years of praying and crying out to God, Why, Lord? Why do you withhold the blessing of a child to us? What is it we have done? Lord, have mercy on us. And then finally, in a miracle spoken by the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth conceives and nine months later John is born. And oh, the joy of the mercy of God that had been shown to Elizabeth and Zechariah. On the eighth day, it says... They came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. Very emphatic in Greek. Listen to mom. She knows exactly what the child's to be called. Apparently, Zechariah and Elizabeth had had some kind of communication. He couldn't hear and he couldn't speak, but he had a tablet. It would have been a wooden tablet with wax, a thin layer of wax melted over the top of it, and he would have scratched words in Hebrew onto that wax surface on the wood tablet. Little bit different than current day technology with tablets, but it would have done the same thing. Scratch, 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 and they could have communicated. And surely, Zechariah would have explained, this is what happened to me 
in the Holy of Holies. This is what the angel Gabriel said. This is what God is doing in my heart. And even though I can't speak and I can't hear, and I don't know how permanent this is, I know that God has worked a miracle in me, and even my inability to speak and hear is a sign from God. I find it interesting that these friends of Elizabeth kind of blow past her in a rude way. They're not the best friends after all. I mean, for instance, they argue with her. And they they said to her, that is her friends, the ones rejoicing with her that she just gave birth at her old age, none of your relatives is called by that name. And I want to say, good night. She gets to choose. Does, Does anybody have relatives who fight with you about your baby's name? I mean, it's the dumbest thing in the world. They blow right past her. She says, resolutely and clearly and boldly, we're going to call the baby John. Clearly, they've talked about it. And they go to Zechariah. As if they can kind of split Elizabeth and Zechariah. Don't don't be doing that, friends. (laughs) Don't be pitting the husband against the wife. They made signs to his father. He couldn't hear. What signs did they make? We have no idea. American Sign Language hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) Who knows what signs they made? What is the child going to be called, they asked. He takes his familiar writing tablet with a wax on it, and he writes, his name is John. His name is John. He doesn't answer their question, what shall the child be called? He doesn't even restate what his wife said, the child shall be called John. He says, I'm not naming the child, and neither is my wife, and neither are you people, no matter what you think. The angel Gabriel, from God, has already named him. His name is John. Faith rises up inside Zechariah in such a way that as soon as he scratches on that wax wood, his name is John, and he shows it to them. His tongue is loosed, his mouth is opened, his ears are unstopped, and a miracle happens to him, and it says he blesses God. Praise God. Praise God for the discipline that he put me through in order that my faith would be awakened and I would see that what God has chosen my son for wasn't just a blessing to an aged man, a, a, father, a sonless man like me, or a, a, a sonless, childless mother like Elizabeth. No, I bless God because he's doing far more than just giving an elderly couple a child. He is showing up in the world in wonderful ways, and so he prophesies, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Fear comes on all the neighbors. The man that they haven't heard from for nine months, the man who was quiet and couldn't hear for nine months, who had this tablet and spoke and communicated everything through it, now he doesn't need his tablet anymore, and he is blessing God while he's holding in his arms this brand new baby born to him and Elizabeth, whom the angel named John. All these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And it says, fear came on all the neighbors. I think fear came on them because they realized that they were watching a miracle happen. They hadn't seen miracles for 400 years. Many of them had lost faith that such things could even happen anymore. But I believe they also knew that this was the mercy of God on Elizabeth and Zechariah and on John for much more than just enlarging one family's desire for a child. 
This was a move of Almighty God upon the people of Israel and through the people of Israel to all the nations of the earth. And all these things were talked about through the, throughout all the hill country of Judea. You know what's really sweet? This is how the Lord is at work in my life. I had no idea I'd be preaching on Luke 1 right now. And I had no idea that in recent months, uh, a year or so ago, I was preaching through 1 Samuel. I had no idea. I had no idea that there would be a connection that I would have never seen had I not preached through 1 Samuel before and Luke 1 today. Look at that phrase. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Take that phrase in English, put it back into Greek where it came from, put that Greek into Hebrew and you get exactly what happened. Exactly what's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 1 at the end when Hannah and Elkanah pray and God gives them Samuel and it says, and this was talked about all through the hill country of Judea. And I went, oh, that is so cool. So just like Samuel showing up and massive things happening to the people of Israel, so John is showing up powerfully like the Samuel prophetic priest that he is. John born to a priestly family, but oh, he's mighty in his prophecy. And, and here we'll see in just a moment, Zechariah, his dad, who was an unbelieving priest, is now just about to come a believing prophet. I want you to see how the mercy of God on this elderly couple spreads the praise of Jesus Christ far and wide. Whatever you're experiencing in your life is not meant to be privately endured by you where no one else knows. That's broken biblically. It fits the pride of our culture perfectly. It's just evil biblically. The design of God for the hard things you go to are meant to be shared so that in your weakness, Christ's strength might be seen as perfect. I boast in the fact that God put my wife and I through infertility. I boast in it because it's how God drew us closer to himself and gave us a son and a daughter we love with all our hearts. I boast in my weakness. For in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. What, what weakness in your life requires this kind of mercy so that when the mercy of God settles on it, you can give all the praise and thanks and glory to him and let it spread far and wide? That's why there's pain in your family and in your extended family and in your relationships and maybe in your marriage and maybe in your body and maybe in your finances and maybe in your career and maybe in your life. That's the reason there's pain here. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And he had a long catalog of sins that he rehearsed in his mind, surely, but were covered under the blood of Christ. But I received mercy for this reason, Paul says, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Mercy spreads the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's its design. Mercy is the way God is relating to the whole world right now. Do you ever wonder why he doesn't bring fire and cook the whole planet in an instant? He'd be justified to do that. Barbecue us, Lord, we're ready for it. He doesn't. Why? Mercy. Sheer mercy. And wherever there is hardship and difficulty, this is the wrath of God as a foretaste. But embedded in the wrath of God is His mercy to say that I mean for my wrath to be evangelistic, to draw you to repentance until I come finally 
in the shining wrath of my son. Was it the righteousness of Zechariah and Elizabeth in circumcising and observing the works of the law that merited the mercy of God? No. No, it wasn't. It was the stunning faith of God that he gave to Zechariah and to Elizabeth to believe him and trust him for all that he had done. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother said, No, he shall be called John, which means God has been gracious to us. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And, he, and then on the tablet he writes, His name is John. Faith has come to Elizabeth and Zechariah's hearts. Faith has come, and that's exactly why God demonstrates his mercy. His mercy was a, a precursor to their faith, and his mercy came after their faith. This is meant for worldwide witness. So you see in verse 65, fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country, and all who laid them up in their hearts. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Israel is buzzing because of the child born miraculously to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And on the day the child is born, a prophet is also born. Look with me now. Before, before I turn to this glorious prophetic song from Zechariah, consider the charge, the call upon us to live our lives in accordance with this mercy that God showed to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Maybe, maybe you know someone like Zechariah who professed faith in Christ but seems distant from Christ right now, seems distant from hearing from God like they don't even care, like they're, they don't pray and they have no conversation with God anymore, it doesn't seem. And they don't seem to want to go and sing to God with the people gathered in worship. Nor do they seem to have any inclination toward the things of the Lord, but you knew they once did. You thought they once did. They're like the Zechariah of your family. Know this, if you have a Zechariah among your friendship or among your family, while they may be out of God's will, they're not out of God's care. Know that God is speaking to them and He's ministering to them. Know that His providence is ordering His mercy upon them even while they are in their silent estrangement from God. Maybe you're that Zechariah. Maybe you're the one who has said, my associations with the things of God and the people of God have hurt me so deeply that I would be a fool to return back there again. My challenge to you is this. If you're the Zechariah in the room, pray for yourself. Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of life everlasting. I said Zechariah has been produced, is, has been born a, a, actually again as a prophet. Just while his son is born of water, he's being born of the Spirit. As his son is born for the first time, Zechariah is born again. God's great mercy to sinners saves through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Zechariah gets saved right here. Look at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say that about Mary when she prophesies. 
And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So this is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets that when the Spirit comes, men and women will prophesy. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied. Now listen to the way Zechariah proclaims the glorious truths of God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's saying, God, you have shown up. And he doesn't mean his son, John. He means in Christ. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Every time horn of salvation shows up in the Old Testament, it means the Davidic line is strong and it will be ruling forever and even over the nations. That's what horn of salvation means. It's code for the Davidic line is on the throne forever and it will rule over all nations, not just Israel. So he's proclaiming not his son's descendancy from the line of David, but Christ descending from the line of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah prophesying in the Spirit celebrates our salvation, Christ coming from the line of David, prophecy fulfilled, deliverance from our enemies, mercy shown to the people of God, God's covenant-keeping faithfulness to Abraham and all who are in Abraham by faith, and God devoting himself to creating within us a service which is fearless, holy, and righteous all our days. This is what it sounds like when a unbelieving Israelite priest gets saved. Christ came into the world and came into Zechariah's heart, and Zechariah is prophesying in great power the salvation that has come to Israel and through Israel to the ends of the earth. What Zechariah experiences is the stunning mercy of God. He was saved by the power of the Holy Spirit moving into his heart, awakening his eyes to see the beauty of Christ and to prophesy about Christ, sealing him forever and ever in Christ, never to be lost. I hope everyone in this room knows the salvation that God's mercy brings in Jesus Christ. I hope every person in this room leaves out of this room filled to overflowing with the saving mercy of God. The greatest thing in all the world is to be saved, says a a dying physician to his pastor. And, And we say often around here because of the simple, clear truth that it contains. This glorious reality is that you and I were meant to be saved. We were not meant to participate in the darkness of the world. We were not meant to be duped by it or drawn and and tempted and and, uh, uh, destroyed by it. We were not meant to be participants in it. We were meant to be saved out from it. So Zechariah says, we're going to live fearlessly serving the Lord in holiness and in faithfulness All of our days, that's what salvation looks like. If Christ came into the world to spread his mercy and to save sinners by his mercy, then what does it sound like in your heart when you've received that mercy for yourself? It sounds like exactly what the the tax collector said in Luke 18 out in public. He said, not, I thank you, Lord, that I'm better than all the rest of these. That's what the Pharisees said. No, what did the actual tax collector say? He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Does that prayer rise up in your hearts? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the way it sounds when mercy has landed in your life. Third and finally, the great mercy of God shines the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shines into the darkness. I get that from verses 76 through 80. And you, child, will be called. Now he's talking to John. You can just see him holding his son, John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You see where I get my observation. Tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. I think that sunrise is the living of a righteous life and the dying and the burial and the rising again and the ascension of Christ. I think that's what the sunrise is referring to. But it all comes because of the tender mercy of our God to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John will go before the Lord Jesus Christ and he will be his prophet. He'll prepare the way. He'll give the knowledge of salvation, which means he'll preach the gospel and call for repentance. He will proclaim the forgiveness of sins, all your sins forgiven, all mine forgiven. Praise the Lord. He will live and proclaim the tender mercies of God and preach such that the light of God's gospel shines on the darkened world. There's as as much need today in Duluth, Minnesota for John the Baptist type people as there was in the day when God had not spoken for 400 years. Why? Not just for the amount of gospel proclamation. We have a lot of gospel proclamation in our culture, don't we? Books and websites and radio programs and podcasts and songs and conferences and and all manner of emails and other forms of communication magazines, it all communicates in one way or the other, whether better or for worse, something of the gospel. We have a huge structure of gospel proclamation, but that doesn't mean the darkness is less here. Actually, the darkness, I think, is seeking to rise and destroy gospel proclamation in our culture. And I think we're observing a time when darkness in the United States of America and in the West is on the upswing and surging. And I think you and I should simply resolve ourselves right now to say, as God gives me the ability by His Holy Spirit and the mercy that He gave to John, I too will boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ into the darkness. They can do with me what they want, They can threaten me however they will. I will not cease to speak of Jesus Christ as the sole and singular salvation before God that he is. John grew as a child, and it says he grew strong. And I was wondering, how did that happen? How did he grow strong? I think you grew strong because of the tender mercy of God that he'd experienced from this prophetic word spoken to him before he even understood it, but surely recorded and given to him as a child. And and the story of my dad being silent the whole time because he didn't think I was real. And then when I came out of my mom and he said exactly what my name was from the angel, then my dad spoke again. And all he wanted to talk about was how great God was. 
Zechariah was a sinner like all our dads. But he was a great and beloved, saved sinner. And surely the record of Zechariah's life and Elizabeth's life was sweet to John. He was born at an old age to them, so he was surely young when he buried them. And that's likely why he ended up in the wilderness. But God caused him to grow strong in the wilderness until his appearing in Israel. Meditating surely on what was spoken to him. Being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You child, called the prophet of the Most High, me. You child will go before the Lord, me. You will give knowledge of salvation to his people. And you will preach the forgiveness of sins, all because of the tender mercy of our God, to your mom, to me, and to the world. And then what I meditated on the longest and the deepest was why this phrase, tender mercy? Why this phrase? In in Greek, the word tender is splankna. Not even worth trying to say, probably. Splankna means guts, entrails. Yeah, you see the problem? God doesn't have any of those. God doesn't have the inner, he he doesn't have a physical body, that's not the problem, but how can God, who is without parts or any passions, nothing works on God from the outside to make him tender, nothing tenderizes God, nothing grieves God, nothing puts emotions on God, that don't arise from within him. He's not passively worked upon. He's not the object of any active efforts to work upon him. Everything stems from him. It's false to talk about God as having something that reacted. He doesn't react to anything. How can he have tender mercy? Here's my answer. God has tender mercy Because God ordains that from before the foundation of the world, His very identity as the God of all mercy would be demonstrated to the world through Jesus Christ in a tenderness that He planned to have from before the beginning of time. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we proclaim. This is the God that the world has spurned. The God whose very identity is mercy. He is not wrath. He only has wrath in response to those who have spurned His mercy. When Israel had committed their highest crime of treason against God by building a golden calf, right after He saved them out of all those years of slavery and captivity in Egypt, What did God do in answer to Moses' prayer? In answer to Moses' prayer, in response to the deepest and the darkest sin that Israel could commit at that time, idolatry with the very gold God provided for them. The Bible says in Exodus 34, I am the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, when a man has truly experienced for himself the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve God. If you find no impulse in your life to live like John the Baptist in the strength of God and serve him in holiness and faithfulness all your days, then ask yourself, have I ever tasted his mercy? Because mercy creates a spreading, mercy saves souls, and mercy creates a shining right deep into the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. Thomas Watson, one of my favorite Puritans, says, God's mercy can drown great sins as the sea covers great rocks. And I say, like the relentless light of 200 billion trillion stars in all God's universe, God's light of mercy cannot be overcome by the darkness that surrounds it, but only is made to shine the brighter by the darkness. And like the light-bending lens of gravity, God's perfect and complete providence shapes and beautifies His mercy in all that happens in the universe, including your life. This time of year is wonderful to come before the candles and the lights and the manger and the songs and the good food and the sweet fellowship with family and the remembrances, even the painful ones of those who we wish were right nearby us and we trust we will see soon and very soon and and those who are not near us for other more painful reasons and we trust if God has mercy, we'll see them again. This is the time of the year to come and sit before all those things and say, Lord, these are all a mercy. Even the painful things that I've experienced in 2022, these are a mercy that you have customized and shaped into my life in order that I might taste and enjoy and be washed by and blessed by the mercy that you give in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, may it spread over me. May you save me fully to the uttermost and may you cause a shining to well up within me that banishes darkness wherever I go and whatever I say. There's infinitely more mercy in God than there is sin in your life to forgive. But hear this, there's infinitely more mercy in God to flow through your life to forgive those you find it impossible to forgive who've wronged you. The only question remaining is are you receiving or resisting? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the mercy of God, which is so sweetly present in Elizabeth, Zechariah, John's life, having been purchased and achieved by the birth, life, and death of Christ. Thank you for the mercy we proclaim to one another. Thank you for the mercy that we proclaim to the world around us. Thank you for the mercy we proclaim to those who hate us, to those who oppose us, to those who revile and oppose you, to those who pervert and distort all your good gifts. Lord, like you, let the landing be known as a place of profound and broad ocean-like mercy. Let in secret and in public, in private And in open ways, the mercy of God define us always. And let our lives be laid on the line like John the Baptist, who was willing to say to Herod, she's not your wife, you can't have her, and he lost his life for it. Let us have the same fearlessness that Zechariah prophesied over John. 
in the face of those who will hate us because we love Christ's mercy. Mercy even for them. If that happens, Lord, it's a miracle because none of us can look within our natural human hearts and find the resources to love like that. We must experience this mercy in order to share it. Pour out your mercy even on us now as we sing of it and as we revel in it and as we pray about it and then have conversation over meals with regard to it and meditate on it in the day that follows. Let your mercy be more in our lives, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand and